You're listening to God and Comics, the most visual show you'll ever hear. On today's show, we'll be discussing the classic graphic novel Mouse by Art Spiegelman. We'll talk about the novel's unique way of telling the true story of how one man and his wife survived the Holocaust. And as always, we'll also have our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm Father Jonathan Michikin, and I am a Catholic priest, and I am the chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. I'm joined, as always, by Father Kyle Tomlin. Hi, good to be with you. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I am the rector of uh, Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in the Diocese of Virginia. And uh, also Father Matt Stromberg. Hi, I'm Father Matt Stromberg here. Uh, I am uh, a priest in the Episcopal Diocese of Albany in New York. Okay, good to see you guys. Uh, hope you all are well. You know, as I record this, we just survived what I will uh, describe as the blizzard of 2022 here in, in Houston, um, where there was uh, freezing rain for, I think, maybe an hour, and we called <laughs> school off. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure you guys can, can relate. Your experiences up in the up in the northeast very similar right yeah well occasionally here in virginia they have canceled school because of the wind <laughs> uh, it is it has been too strong and too cold of a wind so they've canceled school <laughs> i kid you not okay yeah well i i live in a frozen tundra in new york so you do yeah, it's true it's true. and you have gotten inundated with a real blizzard kind of the last last few weeks yeah, we 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 got a we got a big snowstorm i don't know if i if it qualifies as a blizzard it was just a lot, a lot of, of a lot of snow yeah a, a, and a lot of ice crazy yeah amount of ice. so uh we'll head head into our recommendation um i still think one of these days we should come up with a recommendation theme song um father kyle uh, you can go ahead with your recommendation, or if you like, you could improvise a recommendation theme song as you lead into your recommendation. Thank you for that offer, but I think I will spare you my attempts at singing anything. Okay. Um, I just want our it, listeners to know I will be doing interpretive dance throughout this. There you uh, go. Podcast, you can, so you can, that'll be a nice alternative. Yes. Yeah. We need to talk to, uh, father Paul Wheatley about writing us a recommendation song. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, my recommendation today was something that was actually just recommended to me by my good friend, uh, Father James Rickenbaker. Um, this is a book called Robin and Batman that is written by Jeff Lemire and, Dust, and it's uh, painted by Dustin Wynn, um, who had drawn on drawn several, I think he drew Batman um, Shadows of the Bat were Gotham Knights, one of the two back in the early 2000s. So he's not unfamiliar with, with the Batman territory. Uh, this is a story that starts uh, shortly after Dick, the murder of Dick Grayson's parents and um, Bruce Wayne's taking Dick under his wing and beginning to train him as uh, Robin the Boy Wonder. And 
you know, we've heard a lot of these stories before. You know, this has been done quite a few times. Um, most recently, one of the biggest ones was All-Star Batman and Robin, done by Frank Miller. But this is a much lighter toned book than that one was. Uh, the story, the story basically revolves around um, Dick Grayson's struggle to take on the Robin mantle when Bruce begins to have second uh, second thoughts about having him be Robin. You know, as he's training him, he's taking him out on cases, and a couple of those cases, Dick isn't quite measuring up to what Bruce expects of him in terms of his awareness of his surroundings which causes Bruce to pull the plug on Dick being Robin for a little bit. And of course, uh, Dick sets out to do everything he can to prove that he will be a good Robin, including crafting his own Robin costume and setting out um, to be Robin on his own a little bit, while he also struggles to come up with a name, teasing the name Nightwing a bunch of times about who, you, you know, who he should be. Um, it also takes in as a bad guy, Killer Croc, and draws some connections between uh, Killer Croc's time in the circus with uh, Dick Grayson's time in the circus as a member of the Flying Graysons. So we have some interesting uh, working out of uh, that relationship, the past relationship between Killer Croc and, um, and Dick and his family. Uh, overall, it's a really well done story. It's, I think it's, you know, to quote my friend, Father Rick and Baker, again, it's kind of a heartwarming story. And um, it's got some elements of, of an older style Batman to it, which is always nice. Uh, just kind of that relationship between Batman and Robin. We don't get to see that as much today in Batman comics because uh, Robin is Damian Wayne and, and he's in his own book now. And Batman's kind of stuck in Gotham City. He's got his Bat family, but uh, he doesn't, you know, always interact with the Robins, at least not on a consistent basis. So this is a nice little throwback story. And it's, you know, set in a good time um, when we're first learning how Dick's going to be Robin the Boy Wonder. So I highly recommend it. I think it's it's a fun, fun read. Is Dick yeah. Grayson your, your favorite uh, Robin still? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've always thought Dick is the best Robin. I mean, gosh, he was the longest Robin, right? He was well, Robin yeah. forever. So yeah, yeah. yeah I, I picked up this book. I, I read the first issue and 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 really liked it. And then I missed the second one. So my comic shop is ordering me the second one. So I'm waiting to read the rest of the series. But um. Yeah, I, I pick up anything that Jeff Lemire does. I mean, like, he's great. And it, I was very excited to see him, you know, writing Batman. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny. I almost I almost did not read it. I follow, occasionally follow a Batman blog called Batman News, and they do some reviews of, of Batman comics that are coming out. And to be perfectly honest, it's kind of financially hard to keep up with everything in Batman world oh these gosh. days. Yeah. Plus, my wife would kill me if I continued to bring in the number of comic books to this house <laughs> that I would like to bring in. Um, I'm already being told I have to consider selling some off soon. The uh, so I hesitated because the the blogger uh, didn't speak so kindly about this book, 
and oh, really? I just figured, ah, well, it's another one of those mini series. And um, and my friend, Father Rickenbaker said, oh, no, no, this is a great book. You really ought to check it out. And then he let me borrow his copy. And I definitely think he was right. It's a great, great story. Have you um, have you watched the latest season of Titans on HBO? No, I have watched the first season, but I have not watched the others, although I've seen previews of the most recent season. So um, it's, it's got it's gotten pretty cool, I think. Um, and and Ian Glenn, um, the actor, you'll probably recognize him if you watched uh, Game of Thrones. He plays Bruce Wayne. You know, they do the whole Jason Todd saga. There's this really um, great episode. I mean, some of the episodes are hit or miss. This one was really great. And it focused all on Jason Todd. And it was like about Bruce Wayne sort of being like, listen, like you're in danger. I need you maybe to not be Robin. And it's like this whole, you're rejecting me as like a father, you know, he's like, you're still my son, even if you're not Robin, you know, it was sort of an interesting episode. Yeah. I like that element of, when they bring that element in, because, you know, back in 1940, when they introduced Dick Grayson as Robin, of course, you know, he came in with little to no qualms about getting this kid involved with gangsters <laughs> and everything else. Right. Yeah. And so recently there's been more of an effort to say maybe Batman has had some second thoughts along the way that this might not be the right idea. And I think Jeff Lemire captures that really well in this series is yeah, that, yeah. that kind of hesitancy that um, this might not be the best choice. Well, it, it's in the Titan show, the Ian Glenn, um, Bruce Wayne, he's sort of a psycho. Like, you know, he's like, he's kind of vi a villain. Like he's like, this guy's like dark and, you know, and Dick Grayson is all kinds of like screwed up from his, childhood being raised by you know a driven vigilante you know so um yeah it's it's a very complex look at at uh, bruce wayne it's and they don't really ever show him as batman i guess they don't have the licensing for batman or something like that he's just sort of bruce wayne but anyway. yeah i'm a uh tim drake stan myself tim tim's number two for me i've always liked tim and but I yeah, I can't. Grayson is classic. I mean, you can't like argue with that. But I, I, I just loved the Robin series with Tim Drake um, when I was a kid. Mm, when did that yeah. come out? Like ninety three, I think it came out. Ninety two, ninety three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would have been twelve, thirteen, something like that. I just, I, I remember really like getting into that. I think my order would be like Dick Grace. Uh, Dick Grayson is sort of like in his own category. And then of the like non Dick Grayson Robbins, it would be Tim Drake, uh, Jason Todd, Damian Wayne. Where, where does uh, Stephanie Brown oh. and Carrie ah. Kelly <laughs> fit them in too, right? I don't know. Probably ahead of Damian Wayne. Yeah, Damien <laughs> has not been my favorite Robin. I have struggled. I have struggled. He has gotten somewhat better, I will say, over yeah. time. But I have struggled with Damien as Robin. It's hard to. I mean, of course, you know, I'm at at my age now. I'm not looking at Robin as the stand-in for me. But like, yeah. 
when you think of that character as as um, historically the Robin figure has been the stand-in for the reader uh, to make uh, the kid just an absolute piece of garbage human being, uh, I think <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, kind of insulting to the reader, wouldn't you say? <laughs> well, I mean, I I don't know if he's supposed to function that way anymore because it's like. Yeah. Um, it's his child with a with a supervillain, right? <laughs> you know, and he was raised by a supervillain. Batman's trying to make him a hero, but like he's still right. very much a villain in so many ways. I don't know. I I, I think he's kind of cool. Um, my son really liked Damian Wayne a lot. He liked the whole hooded look and everything. So. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely. I will give credit to. Uh, those who have designed the various Damian Wayne costumes that they've been some, some pretty cool looking costumes, a little more ninja like. Yeah. Than, um, than yeah. some prior Robins. But, I would agree. Uh, with yeah. That. League of Assassins, you know, yeah. you know, that's his background. So. Yeah. I, I assume that uh, the Robin outfit can't, can't get any better than the pantyhose that uh, Burt Ward <laughs> had to wear. But mm. anyway, all right. Well, thank you for that recommendation, Father Kyle. We're going to move into our main discussion of Mouse. Um, if you are not familiar with Mouse, uh, this is going to be a boring podcast for you. No, <laughs> no, actually, if you're not familiar with Mouse, you should totally uh, read Mouse. It is a story about, gosh, about the Holocaust, about fathers and sons, about all kinds of things. I'll, maybe I'll ask one of you guys to, to give a sort of a brief summary here in a second. I do want to kind of flag on the front end of this that, you know, of course, there's been um, some controversies lately surrounding Mouse, and um, that has kind of gotten the name of it back up in the news because the, the book came out, the first volume came out in 1987, second volume came out in 1991. It's won all kinds of awards and, and been sort of well-known, but it wasn't like the immediate talk of the town um, until recently because of some of the controversies that have taken place. And our aim here is not to adjudicate any particular controversy, uh, but we wanted to take advantage of the fact that the book was being talked about to actually talk about the book. Like, I think one of the problems with, with these kinds of things is that like the thing itself becomes bigger than what it's actually about. And um, Mouse is such an interesting book and such an important book that, um, you know, we've actually been meaning to talk about it on the program for years. It just seemed like this was, this was a good time uh, to do it. I wonder, Father Kyle, would you be willing to give a, a brief uh, synopsis of what, what Mouse is about. Yeah, um, Mouse is a story about uh, Art Spiegelman, who is the actual writer and author of the book, or, or that is the same writer and author, it's the late hour, writer and <laughs> artist of the book. Um, it's about his father, Vladek Spiegelman, and his mother, whose name at the moment escapes me, sorry. Anja? An yeah. Yeah, Anya. Well, he yeah. calls her Anna, and then, but the father calls her 
I, I is it Anja or Anya? Anya. Anya. I've been I think it's supposed Anya. to be Anya. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's about his his parents and about their their experience um, living during the time of the Nazi uprising as Polish um, Polish Jewish people and um, their experience of getting caught up in the events with the invasion of Poland and they're seeking to avoid um, avoid arrest by the Nazis. Uh, ultimately, it ends up with them in one of the concentration camps and, um, and tells a lot about their experience uh, in the concentration camp and about how they found themselves eventually getting out of the concentration camps. In the midst of it all, um, there, are, there are all these scenes where Art Spiegelman is meeting with his father, uh, Vladek, to talk about um, the events. So, so the real life bit of the interviews of his father are included in the story, along with his father's interactions with his new wife um, after his first wife dies. And, and it traces the relationship between Art and his father um, over the course of many years while his father is telling him this story that he's then drawing. It also deals quite a bit with um, some of the psychology of Art Spiegelman, I think it's fair to say, as he's wrestling to, uh, to make sense of his own self in light of all of this um, stuff that his father's telling him. And, and as a person who is trying to communicate that story back to a wider audience, um, trying to make sense of why he's doing that and how that's making him feel along the way. So it's not just a straight retelling of his father's events. There's, there's a lot about Art Spiegelman's life in here too. We should add that uh, Art Spiegelman, uh, who's now in his early 70s, um, his father died in 1982. So he died before the first volume even came out. But um, Art Spiegelman was born later. He was born after the war, right? The whole experience is so when we see art as a young man in his 20s talking to his father he's trying to learn about things that came um before he was on the scene the other thing to say about this book though um that is a, a important detail uh is that it is all told through uh anthropomorphic animals right so the reason why it's called mouse m-a-u-s um, is because um, the Jews are presented as mice in the book. And uh, I mean, they're, you know, people that look like mice, basically. Um, and Spiegelman does this with, with just about every ethnicity or, or group that comes along, right? So uh, the, the uh, Jews are mice uh, because mice were considered vermin by the Nazis. The Germans are cats. Um, and uh, it's interesting, you know, the cover of one of the volumes, actually both of the volumes, has a swastika with a picture of uh, presumably Hitler in the center of it looking like a cat. So if you've ever said to yourself, I wonder what Hitler would look like as a cat, you can now answer that question. <laughs> um, but the, there's also like the, the Poles, the non-Jewish Poles are um, pigs. The, the who else we have the the Listen. Americans are dogs 
The French are frogs, which was a little on the nose. Um, and uh, at one point, there's a gypsy that's portrayed by a moth. So that was kind of interesting. Well, you know, what's interesting about that choice is it's just, it's, it's like an ongoing visual metaphor. But um, in, in this story, it's not like they're people. Right. They're people, you know, and, and, and it, it, it becomes really odd at one point where, um, you know, he um, his father and his mother are hiding in a cellar. And his and his mother gets really frightened because of the rats, you know, and he's like, don't worry, they're just mice. They're just mice, you know, <laughs> you know? And, 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 it, and, and, you know, and like, but of course, they're always drawn as mice, but it, um, it's uh, it, 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 it's not like the wind in the willows or something where they're like talking animals. They're just it's just a visual kind of thing, right. which is which is an interesting choice. Um, and I guess this is this is a thing that Art Spiegelman does. At one point, they reproduce in the graphic novel um, one of his. Uh, earlier stories called the uh, prisoner in hell house or something like yeah. that mm -hmm. and uh that also has a similar kind of um visual metaphor it's it's autobiographical it's about his, his mother's suicide and throughout the story he's in like a prison uniform he's the prisoner so yeah it's uh he does some innovative stuff with the with the medium of the comic strip or comic book so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think one of the most interesting things with the with the animal thing is is the use of masks in relation to that. Right. Yeah. So like there are the moments where um, he is a mouse is trying to pass, for instance, as a pole. And so he'll put on a pig mask yeah. <laughs> as he's walking around. But it's fascinating um, how that in the second volume, it kind of and I'm still trying to figure this out it becomes this, this whole other thing in the second volume where it becomes about, are we all wearing masks or something like that, right? Because they're, they're especially like if you, there's a whole uh, extended scene where Art is talking to his therapist who is also happens to be a Holocaust survivor um, about his own feelings of guilt, about his father, what, whatever, everything that's kind of related to it. And, depending on the angle, like sometimes he looks like a mouse and sometimes you get another shot of him and you realize he's wearing a mouse mask. And the same is true of the therapist. Sometimes the therapist looks like a mouse and sometimes the therapist is wearing a mouse mask. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of still like contemplating that, like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think I'd actually noticed that. That's funny. You say that I'll have to go back and look through it again. I didn't pick up on that. It's funny because I guess I, the reason I didn't mention that in talking about the story right away is that it almost, it was so real in some ways that it almost, for me, that bit faded a little bit into the background that I didn't, I didn't, yeah. I stopped noticing it after a while. Like as I began reading it, you know, everybody looking like the animals was there, but then the story got so real that it just, I just saw people there, right? That's kind of, mm -hmm. kind of my experience with it. Well, and, and he, he's, 
he gets a remarkable emotional range out of these little mice faces that are just basically very simple, very economically drawn. Um, the eyes are just like blotches of ink, but like they have such life. And it's like, I, you know, it, it, I just, I was struck a number of times reading. It's like, boy, he just, you know, just with this simple dot for an eye, he got so much out of that. Like you could feel like anxiety, surprise. Yeah. It's just very talented uh, artist. And the, the art is very simple. It's, you know, it's very simple, but um, but it's it's definitely complex uh, as far as its, its range of, of storytelling goes. So, yeah, and we should also add that it's a black and white story. So it's not, you know, not colorized in any way, too. That's right. That's right. Black and white in the sense that it's drawn in black and white, not that it's very easy not- to understand and has no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, right. (laughs) So um, what are some of the takeaways that you guys have from from having been through this and reading this? Well, gosh. um, I mean, there's a lot to we can kind of go down several different lanes here with it. It's so personal. I mean, he jokes about this throughout the story, too, because it's um, it's autobiographical. Um, in the sense that it's it, the comic book is about him writing the comic book. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's so personal. And, and like, you know, I, I found myself thinking like, gosh, I mean, like, I, how would he have done this if his father was still alive? Um, because he, he, he doesn't hold back on his portrayal of his father at all. His father... Um, I mean, on, on one level, you really, really have to admire this guy because, I mean, he just survived, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like how they survived is so many times they could have been dead. And it's almost like the hand of God is over them. But um, I mean, there's even one point he has numbers on his arm, of course, being in a concentration camp and. And uh, he meets a priest in, in, in the concentration camp who sort of tries to comfort him by saying like, you know, and he has this elaborate numerological, like Hebraic interpretation of the numbers. And he's like, oh, well, that adds to 18. And, you know, this is this, this is uh, in, in Hebrew, this means life. It's the numeric uh, value of the word life or something like that. And, you know, um, and he, and through and he says, you know, that that got me through. He's like, you know, I'm I'm marked as as as, uh, you know, somehow special chosen by God um, yeah. to, to survive. And, um, you know, despite having survived, he, he, he's he's neurotic the way he's portrayed. He, he, at one point, Art says out loud to his, his wife or his girlfriend in the book, like, Geez, I don't know how I'm going to write this not this graphic novel because it's like my dad is such a stereotype, like an anti-Semitic t- stereotype of like the miserly Jewish person, you know. And he's like, I, he's like, but it's just it's it's actually his personality, and you know he he's so miserly. He's such a cheapskate. He's so he's kind of 
But like, you know, one has to think like it's 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 how he survived. He's obsessed with like like you know saving matchsticks and like at one point he picks up like a piece of telephone wire and he's like well these wires are very useful and you know and and art's just sort of like dad just buy it at the store it's like why would i buy it when i could get it for free you know like and and his he's very cruel to his second wife Mm -hmm. um who like she always is living in the shadow of course of the of his of his first wife who he survived the holocaust with and you know and 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 she having survived the holocaust ends up committing suicide um but the ironic thing is that the second wife also was a survivor of the holocaust yeah 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 no i i know And, and 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 you know and and he's like well She's like, he's, he's, he's such a miser. And, and Art's like, well, you know, it's because he, you know, his, his experiences in the war. And she's like, we were all through it. You know, none of us came out that way, you know. But like everybody uh, survives in a different way. Um, and maybe to some extent he had these characteristics to begin with, which, you know, I mean, Say what you will about them. They, they must be infuriating to live with, but um, he knows how to get by. <laughs> yeah, it helped him live, right? It helped I mean, it live. wasn't, and it was, it was, he had stuff. So he always, he always kept things, which then he could barter with uh, when he was imprisoned. But it was also, he does the same thing with skills. Like, did you notice that? It was like, well, I could be a tin man. Because uh, I watched the tin, tin smiths do what they were doing, and I oh well, I could be a, a I could make shoes, you know. <laughs> like it was like whatever he needed to be in any situation, he had he had stored away somewhere in the back of his brain whatever small bits of information he had about what these people did, so that yeah. you know when the moment came, he could he could draw it out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and like he, he, like he's basically survives Auschwitz um, because he, he speaks English and he in, in Polish and like he uses that to yeah. survive. Um, and, 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 and art sort of, you know, he's, he, you see him at his therapist, like as an adult, like after his father's deceased and he's just like, it's like, yeah, you know, like I admired my dad, you know, he survived the Holocaust, but he's like, Mostly what I remember is him, you know, telling me how I'll never be as good as he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's just brutally honest like that. Um, and I've already mentioned they they, they reproduce a, an earlier work he did about his mother's suicide. And that that sort of becomes an area where where it's like his his father's upset with him because he he's read this enormously personal comic uh book that he's written about his mother's suicide gosh that that that's a that's an intense subject to put out there in a comic book form but he does it it's the strength of this is he's an open book he's an open book about everybody though which is <laughs> which is good and bad yeah, yeah. you know there's is that the, the the great question mark i think of this story um, and of course, you know, we say story, but these are, these are real people, right? Um, not actually mice. <laughs> right. Um, 
But the, the real question mark or the real kind of like missing piece, which gets emphasized over and over again, because I think it's the missing piece for art is his mother and what his mother's experience was, because yeah. he or she survived the Holocaust, same as as he did and went on to, you know, come to America and to uh, have another child. They had, they had had a child um, at the beginning of the war who who uh, died, who didn't make it through. Um, and so, you know, here they have this other son uh, after the war and so forth. And his mom uh, sometime in the 60s. So I guess Art would have been, um, what, a young man at that point. Yeah. Uh, 20, yeah. 20 maybe. Yeah. I think he was 20 when his, when his mother dies. The, you know, it's like the question is, of course, that everybody asks is, well, like, why? Because she doesn't leave a note or anything like that. And, you know, and you never know necessarily, even if somebody does leave a note, it's not, suicide is not like a logical thing. You're not going to get an explanation where you go, oh, okay, that makes sense. But we can kind of fill in various things for ourselves. And I think that's what he's hoping to do by trying to find his mother's journals, because apparently she wrote about her experience all the way through. And so all the way through Mouse, he's constantly trying to find these journals that his father says he threw out. And Art just cannot believe this is true because this man has never thrown out anything in his life. <laughs> he's got, you know, tea bags from 1950 somewhere in his house, right? Like he's got all this stuff. And yet the one thing that he throws out are all of the notebooks in which his mother wrote down her experience. Like um, there, there's one point where Art's wife, uh, French. it's a French name, Francoise. Francoise. Yeah. I believe she's a exec at, um, one of the publishing houses at this point, they're still, they're still married, but, um, yeah, at one point she she says to art, I can't believe he would throw out his mother's writing because if she wrote on only one side of the piece of paper, he would have to waste the other side of the paper and like, <laughs> she right. can't believe that he would actually waste paper in that way you know um and yet and yet i guess he does right like because we never get it like we never find the the journals that, that well part. doesn't he say he burned them that's what he says yeah but like it seems like art is sort of suspicious of that being true throughout the whole thing because he keeps bringing it back up over and over again yeah. Thinking like maybe they're still there somewhere, um, but they never are like so it you know really is like the one thing this guy threw out was the thing that would actually, in Art's mind, maybe answer the riddle of his mother for him. Mm. Which I which I think boils down to his father's anger over his mother's suicide. Um, it's the one thing he can throw out because he's angry at her for having killed herself right that doesn't come through in the book but that's my read on it yeah is that is that he saved everything um but this has so wounded him that he had to he had to kill it in some way and that was getting rid of it but you're right it does leave art in this place where he can't um we, where he can't ever know the full story we get the little glimpse 
early on. I don't know if you guys caught it, but early on, right before the Germans invade Poland, I think it is, there's this small mention of, of his mother having a nervous condition um, at a family dinner. So that's about the most we know is that she had some sort of mental health issue that was was um, there for a long time. And obviously it was exacerbated by the war and by the death of their son, Rishiu, I think is yeah. how you say his name, right? Rishiu, something like that. Yeah, yeah Rishiu. We need like a Polish expert to come on. Yeah. Help us with these names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I think that um, I think that that all just weighed heavily on his mother, obviously. And, and, certainly stoked the fires for her suicide, but certainly for his dad, this is a way of dealing with that hurt is to, to burn up the, the journal or get rid of it or whatever he did with it. Yeah. And, and aren't mutters to himself murder. Mm-hmm. That's you a good know, point. I mean, that's, that's an intent. Like almost yeah. like this is what I had left of my mother and you took it from me. Um, yeah. And he even says something like, oh, did you read them? And he's like, oh, I glanced through it. He's like, she said something about you. Like, I hope my son will someday read these. And, and he just becomes so enraged. Like, you took that from me. You murder. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, I could feel that. Gosh. Yeah. Um, so this would be a very different story if we had his mother's story. Um, you know, it, it's, it's all told in his father's voice and and like he reproduces like his father's kind of like um like broken english yeah like, i mean his english is good but like you can hear the accent yes so you can't hear the accent you can yeah he, he's yeah. like um the, the syntax is very yeah the syntax yep. is just off like I, I i i it's hard for me to to reproduce it you know yeah. but it's uh he, it, 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 you hear the father's voice, you know, you hear this kind of Polish, you know, accent or whatever as, as you read it and his sort of idiosyncratic way of speaking. Um, and, you know, and it, 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 it makes the father's character vivid, you know, and his father even calls him like on occasion, he calls him darling. Yeah. You know, and it's just sort of this funny thing because it's like, you know, English speaking fathers would, would like darling is more of a um, a romantic term or right. or maybe something that a man might say to his daughter, darling. But like the son, it's just it's we don't typically see fathers call their son darling. You right. know, it's kind of a but he does, you know, and it's, you know, and, and he and he, it, it happens throughout, you know, like he calls him like darling. I need you to help me on the roof. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. um, but so, so as you're reading this story, you, you really get immersed into the character of his father um, and his, you know, his way of seeing the world and his way of speaking. And it's, uh, I mean, you know, it, it's, 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 it's really well written and um I mean, one thing I don't think we've mentioned is that it it won a Pulitzer Prize. Mm -hmm. This really put comic books as an art form on the map. You know, suddenly the idea of the graphic novel became like a serious kind of like intellectual proposition. 
and I mean, and since then, there's there's been a ton of very literary kind of uh, graphic novels and stuff like that. But but Mouse really brought it to the public in in um, in a new way, where where um, probably the first comic book maybe that or to be widely included as uh, on a school curriculum. I didn't read it in school. It wasn't assigned to me in, in, in school. Um, but I know it's on a lot of curriculums, both in colleges and in high schools and sometimes middle schools as well. I mean, which is why we have, you know, the current controversy about that. Um, I think when people pick up a comic book to this day, there's still sort of um, a prejudice in some people's mind that, well, I'm picking up juvenile literature. This is for kids. You know, it's a comic book. Um, and, and, and Mouse is it's very much an adult story. Um, and, and, and if you're, you're approaching it as a work of uh, children's literature, it's going to be very surprising. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's about the Holocaust for one. Um, but anyway, I mean, um, I think that's uh, that's an important element of the book, the, 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 the way it, it, um, it kind of expanded the art form of comic books in the public imagination. There is a scene that, um, that I found really interesting because, you know, you do find yourself being moved by everything that happens to um, Vladek uh, over the course of this thing. I mean, um, you know, as much as you can kind of tell that he's a hard guy to live with and you sympathize with some of Art's problems with him um, and certainly... <laughs> Uh, Mala's problems with him, his, his second wife. Nevertheless, for the most part, it doesn't, for me as a reader, it didn't, it didn't diminish my sense of admiration for him, for what he was able to, to survive and, and what he went through, you know, and I mean, all of this with a glass eye for crying out loud, um, you know, everything that, that he experienced, um, except there is a scene um, towards the end of the second volume. I feel like we're like going to spoil this for everybody. Although I, I, I don't really think this that's true. This is not really the kind of thing you can spoil, right? Yeah, and it's been around since um, '86. It, so. it has, and you know, uh, okay. So he survived the war. Um, spoiler alert: um, We won World War II. So uh, if anybody yeah, was wondering, the Allies won. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering. I wasn't yeah. clear on that. Yeah. Well, there are days, um, but uh, there's a scene towards the end where um, Art and Francoise have gone to uh, be with his father for a few days because Mala has, has left him. And um, they take him to the supermarket and they're on their way back to the little bungalow that he's rented for the summer. And they see a guy uh, who's hitchhiking and Francoise is driving and she decides to pick up the hitchhiker, yeah. which in and of itself is sort of kind of always a dangerous thing, picking up hitchhikers, but like it was the seventies and, you know, I don't know. 
You can um, pick up Dr. David Banner in the 70s. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so they pick this guy up who only ends up wanting a ride for a couple of blocks and it's, and it's fine. But the guy is, uh, or the dog, I should say, because he's an American, so he's portrayed as a dog. Um, but he is, he's black, right? And that's, that's, that's very obvious that that's who they're representing there is, is a, a black man. Um, and his father immediately reacts and is very negative and starts talking in uh, Yiddish, I think, like just saying like mean things about the guy while he's there. The second he gets out, he yells at his daughter-in-law about this. He says all these terrible things about black people. And so here's this guy who had experienced the worst kind of racism that we could possibly imagine. I mean, on an epic scale, turning around and acting with racism <laughs> towards mm -hmm. another group of people and just, and really just blatant racism. I mean, this is not mm -hmm. like, you know, oh, there's some misunderstanding there or he says something. No, no, this guy yeah. does not like black people yeah. and thinks they're bad people and wants yeah. us all to know it. And, um, and, and France, Francoise, who's been actually more tolerant, I think of Vladek than, than Art already has, um, kind of loses it on him for a minute. And it's like, are you kidding? After everything that you went through, you know? Yeah. And I and so like it's it's an interesting moment because as a reader, it's like that's that is the one moment where I'm reading it and I'm I'm going, ooh, you know, like that really does knock him down a peg in a way that almost nothing else uh he does can. Mm -hmm. But it's also so real. Yeah. I mean right this is this this underscores the brokenness of humanity mm -hmm. the sinfulness of humanity that that um that we turn around and hold prejudices against people when others hold prejudices against us and it's just very real i mean i was unnerved by that scene too but it it just it struck home for human nature sadly yeah in much the same way, to kind of circle back a moment, the the whole dynamic between Vladek and Art, the fact that Vladek has gone through all of this very traumatic stuff over the course of of you know the war, and comes out with these, um, with he comes out damaged ultimately. The the fact that he's a miser, a hoarder, you know, and all of this stuff is a result of the experiences that he went through in the war. And the fact that Art gets annoyed by all of that and can't have sympathy because his window of existence doesn't include the experiences that his father went through, I think strikes a chord with how human nature is, right? We get annoyed at other people without ever knowing what other people have been through and the things they've experienced and the things that have broken and damaged them. Um, I was just reminded of a line while I was reading that book from Jay Mascus of Dinosaur Jr. who said, we're all nuts, so who helps who, right? <laughs> that's, that's kind of the truth of human nature. 
Mm. And that's what just struck a chord with me. There was a sympathetic part of me that was like, gosh, recognize what your dad has been through. But then I think like, I don't do that with other people, right? I see their peculiarities and get annoyed with the way that they behave and much like he did with his dad. And so there's a lack of empathy, a lack of sympathy too, that we have with one another. Boy, of all the things that might've come out of your mouth at that point, I think dinosaur junior quote was like the last <laughs> thing that I expected. <laughs> I had to shake it, keep things lively. That's right. Um, but you make some, you make some great points there, father Kyle. I mean, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, this is a story about how trauma is transmitted from one generation to another. And yeah. I, think it's, I think it's a story about um, the systemic effect of sin yeah. that has so many tendrils that we don't always even know how to acknowledge. And so the fact that the book begins, for instance, with Art as a child and his friends have been mean to him after he falls down and he's, he goes and he tells his father and his, his father says to him, uh, friends, uh, uh, you know, spend a, spend a week with these people in a room where you have no food and then you'll see who your friends are. Right. I mean, right. it's like this completely inappropriate response, but obviously coming from the trauma of, yeah. of his uh, survival of, of the war. But it's like, and then now, now art has this as a part of who he is. And, yeah. and you can kind of look at that and go, this is, this is the arc of human history in many ways, right? Like we're all kind of walking around with, um, you know, many great things that have been given to us. I don't want to make it sound like all that we've ever gotten from our Sure. Ancestors is terrible. Like we, you know, we have lots of wonderful things that, that we've received from them, but we also have a lot of trauma and guilt and, you know, proclivities to evil and all kinds of other things that we, that we just inherit and don't quite know what to do with because he didn't suffer through the Holocaust. And yet he's got these sort of after effects from it. It's one of the reasons why I find it so galling the way that we tend to approach history these days. Um, uh, something having happened, quote unquote, a long time ago means that it shouldn't have any impact. You know, like, uh, well, we shouldn't be worried about racism because uh, uh, all of that's been taken care of and uh, you know everything's fine now which of course is not at all true but it's like even if that was true even if it was you know we're only a couple generations from Jim Crow mm -hmm. we're only you know um, they're there aren't any living slaves walking around, but uh, in terms of like um, American uh, chattel slavery, but there are certainly people walking around who have memories of grandparents who were slaves. Yeah. Or who grandparents, I should say grandparents who were, um, who remember uh, relatives who have been slaves, right? Uh, as, as small children. Yeah. 
So, you know, why is it that we think that that wouldn't, these things wouldn't continue to affect us? Well, I, you know, that, and that comes up in, 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 in the graphic novel too, where he, he, he's talking about what a critical success the first volume of, of, of Mm. Mouse was. And, and, you know, um, it's been translated into many languages and someone's interviewing them and they're like, it's being translated into German. What do you think about that, huh? You know, and, he, <laughs> and he's like, well, like, you know, a lot of the German people today are like, another book about the Holocaust. We're sick of hearing about it. Why should we have to feel guilty, you know, about something that happened all those years ago? You know, and that's very, you know, that's a very familiar sentiment in America, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he says, well, like, there's still companies that got rich during Nazi Germany. Um, and, you know, they're still prospering today. There's what we do to survive. And uh, there's, there's, this, there's this tension about empathy in, in, the, in the story. Um, because, um, you know, we all think, looking back on this, you know, and this guy like all that he's been through you know we say with Francois and Art you know why you know shouldn't he be more empathic Um, but how could he have been empathic and survived you know he says it over and over again like you know it was every man for himself there was no family there was no neighbors you did what you needed to do to survive you know, and, um, and, uh, you know, that's a horrible thing. You know, he had to kind of become a bit of a jerk, a bit of an unfeeling person, um, selfish, miserly. Um, these are survival techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we see them as character flaws, and, and perhaps they are. It's 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 hard to make it through a situation like that and stay good, and that's that that that's that's the sobering thing to to contemplate, you know. Um, yeah. Anyway, well, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say. I mean, it. I think it, for me, one of the things that I never really thought a lot about, um, going back to a comment that you made a few moments ago, Father Jonathan, about how we expect with history, like something just ends, right? It's just done and it's over. I think without really consciously thinking about it, I probably have just tended to think of the Holocaust a little bit in those terms that it happened and when it ended, it ended, right? But I think this book opened my eyes up to that reality of how that pain just and the byproducts of all of that trauma just carry forward and and for nobody who walked out of those concentration camps was life ever normal, quote unquote, normal again, right? Um, there were just all kinds of scars and, and there were all kinds of, of um, maladaptive behaviors that came out of that situation. And you just do imagine that we still, I mean, we're not that far removed from it in some senses, right? that those things are still having a ripple effect down through our own generation. Um, 
yeah. in, in various ways, shapes and forms, but just yeah. a sob sobering thought about life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, you guys know this, right? Because you've been in pastoral ministry and working with families, um, working with parishes. I know um, Father Kyle had some of this probably from your previous life counseling as well, that like, you know, we live with the scars of our family lives yep. in major ways, right? You know, if your father was an alcoholic, that has an impact on you. I, my father was not an alcoholic, but my grandfather, who I never really met, he died when I was three, was. Mm -hmm. And that has an impact on me. It has an impact on the way I think about alcohol in my own life. Um, uh, it has an impact on how I think about lots of other things because it affected now, you know, I mean, I'm, my father heroically nothing like his father in, in some of these ways but but nevertheless it's like there's still this like reality that exists and eventually it gets disconnected from its historical event mm -hmm. and so like the thing is we we don't want to we don't want to look at the history because we don't we don't want to feel guilty right isn't that what i forget which one of you guys said that maybe it's father matt like we don't want to we don't want to feel guilty yeah. Yeah. yeah um and i you know I get that. Like, there's this fear that if I face the thing, it's going to make me feel bad in ways I, I, I don't right now, or, or it's somehow going to invalidate my own agency. Right. You know, like as if I don't have any control over my life or it's going to negate my own positive experiences. And it's like, no, none of that is really true. But if you can't, if you can't look at your history whether we're talking about something major like the Holocaust or we're even just talking about little things like the history of your own family, if you can't look at that with some degree of, I don't want to say objectivity because there's no way to be objective about it. You can't take yourself out of it, but with some degree of truth, right? right? Like with, without seeing it, then what you're left with is all of this negative stuff that you don't know where it came from and you don't know how to deal with it. And you guys, I'm sure have seen this in not just families, but like parishes are like this, you know, other institutions, right? Cause it's like, uh, why is this place acting this way? Why are these people? Uh, so let's, I mean, take a parish as an example, I'll, I'll, I'll do that since I'm not currently in parish ministry and I'm not speaking about any particular parish, but take any parish as an example, right? And you go, okay, why is it that these folks are reacting in this very strange way that makes no sense to something I've said or something I've done. And you find out through careful uh, research or through what people are saying, you piece it together, whatever. And you finally figure out, well, it has something to do with something that was done by the, the rector's of, of 40 or 50 years back mm -hmm. <laughs> that no one remembers and no one was even alive for, but that got into the water of the place and now is continuing to affect it. But we don't want to, we don't want to look at the past, right? Like that stuff happens all the time. I think in institutions and in families in peoples and in nations in, in churches. I mean, you know, you name it, right? Um, and the only way that we can start to heal from these things 
is to be able to actually see it in the same way that the only way that you actually start to heal from your sin is to actually realize that you are a sinner, that you actually like need the healing that comes from Christ. Like the only way that you start to heal from the scars of your own history is if you can actually face that history. Yeah. Yeah. Which we refer to as repentance, right? And part of repentance is simply a, a waking up to reality. It's a waking up to the truth about who you are before God. Um, and that's, you know, that's realizing that I am a sin, a sinner before God. Right. And that of course is a very loaded statement and there's a lot we could unpack out of that, but, but we do use that term repentance for, um, for that process of coming to the truth and confessing before God. So, um, so that we're set free by the gospel ultimately. And there is something liberating uh, the, the truth is, it came from a much wiser person than me. The truth will set you free, right? <laughs> right. Um, as our Lord has said. I agree uh, that Jesus is much wiser than you. Father. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I do too. Far wiser than me. I'm, I'm a speck of dust in the... He, he is much wiser world. than me as well, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, but, you know, that that I'm that's sort of taking Jesus's words a little bit out of context there. Right because he is the truth who sets us free. But the reality is that, um, that, that the ability to be self-aware, to come to, come to embrace who we are with all of our sin and our brokenness is freeing. There is yeah. something liberating about being able to have that honesty, um, which includes doing a little bit of that work of recognizing those powers and forces that have have led you to where you are, you know, all the things that lie back of you. No, um, but, but I feel like we could, we could go on. I mean, we could do, you know, mouse part two and possibly even mouse part three and never quite exhaust it, which in and of itself, I think is probably the mark of the genius of, of this kind of uh, a book because, um, you know, not every uh, book has that reaction to it. Yeah. I, I think I would say, about this, and I was going to say this a little bit earlier, this feels to me like a book that could not have been written as a book. Yes. It had to have been done as a comic book because it somehow adds to the, the reality of it. That's the best I can say. Like it brings it to life in a way that if he just wrote these as words on a page, it wouldn't have done the same thing. Mm. So for that, it definitely deserves all the accolades that it's gotten. I totally agree. And, and the being able to kind of go back and forth between, the, you know, the moment he was writing versus Vladek's mm -hmm. story and so forth. I mean, you could do that maybe in a movie setting um, or in an animation setting, but it, but comics is really almost the best medium for being able to, yeah. to reveal things in, in the way that he does here. Uh, okay. So, uh, let's see, let's see who wants to be first. This or that, this or that, come on everybody, let's this or that, Batman or Iron Man, this or that, Spider-Man or Superman, this or that, boxes or briefs, this or that, DVD or VHS, this or that, Dungeons or Dragons, this and that, Moses or Elijah, this or that, this or that. Do you want to be first? Rock, paper, scissors. 
Uh, yeah, okay. sure. I'll go first. Father Matt, we'll see how how you how you run with this. Uh, Ram or Band on the Run? Oh, um, that's a good one. Both Paul McCartney albums for the yes. uninitiated. Um, both early Paul McCartney, uh, post yeah. Paul McCartney. Albums. Yeah, well, although Band on the Run's Wings. Yeah, and, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> like these days, I'm more likely to put on Ram because it's just it's just a, a um. It's 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 just a stranger kind of quirkier album, um, which I, I really like, and it's a it, it, you know, I had it has a it has that kind of um, experimental feel to it, um, but Band on the Run, I played that album like incessantly, you know, when I was young, you know, in high school, and like. All those uh, songs are really tattooed in my mind. I think that was the first solo Paul McCartney album that I really dived into, um, and I, I had I had that I had that CD on heavy rotation. Um, so I, I'll probably say Band on the Run. All right, that's a good answer. I'll give you five hundred points for that. That's a good answer. You guys ever see the uh show the alan partridge show the um british comedy have you no. ever seen that maybe um uh there's there's a great line the guys are uh the the main character on that show is a disc jockey and he's announcing he's getting ready to play um a song by wings and he said wings the band the beatles could have been <laughs> true <laughs> i suppose <laughs> my dad said people used to joke like um in the in the 70s that like young people would this is this is like you know because my dad's up um he's not as old as paul mccartney is but he's you know he's in his early my dad's in his early 70s now so he would have been like you know mid to late 20s and it's like, oh, yeah, all the teenagers now will say, uh, wait, Paul McCartney was in a band before Wings? Yeah. <laughs> the Quarrymen. Um, <laughs> okay. Father, um, Father Kyle, Stephen Colbert or Jimmy Fallon? Hmm. While I enjoy both of them, um, I am probably going to go with Stephen Colbert because I have watched more Stephen Colbert and I have always enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed his, his comedy. I find it to be a little sharper than, um, than some of the stuff Jimmy Fallon does. Uh, Jimmy Fallon's great and I've come to appreciate him a lot more in recent times. I especially like his, uh, impersonation of Neil Young. <laughs> uh, he he does a pretty good yeah. job with that um but uh yeah no i'm gonna go with stephen colbert that is that is also an excellent answer i've another 500 points for you father kyle that's that's a good one uh, did you see um the interview 
with um, Stephen Colbert with, uh, what the heck is her name? Dua Lipa? Something. Yeah, something like I, yeah. yeah. I didn't really know who she was, to be honest with you, because I'm an old. Um, but uh, did, did, did either of you guys see that? Where, where yeah, she, I, I, I saw him about that. Catholicism and comedy, and he gives this just amazing answer uh, to that question about how he, his faith and his comedy interact with each other. I, yeah, I, I, it's, it seems like I can't believe he pulled that off the top of his head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, well, although he's probably, he's probably thought about that a lot. Like, you know, mm. people ask me, you're a comedian. You're also known for your Catholic faith. How do they interact? You know, mm-hmm. so he's probably, you know, had that elevator speech, like kind of prepared a little bit, but I mean, it was just, it was, a, it, and it was just, it, it was such a wonderful moment on for on tv yeah you know to have this you know like sort of serious moment about the faith which also so too often on television it's just sort of skirted around or like if it's talked about it's sort of talked about in a very superficial way um so it, it was it was it was beautiful in my eyes i, I thought he, yeah. he knocked it out of the park. <laughs> Super good. Interesting. Have to look Super for good. it. Have you ever got? Have you guys ever seen Stephen Colbert do liturgical dance? He's <laughs> yeah. like King of Glory. Of course. <laughs> Anytime I ever hear that song in my head, I picture Stephen Colbert's uh, rendition of it. Yeah. Um, okay, Father Matt, this is probably not a good question for you. Um, but it's the next one up. So is it a sports question? No, it's, uh, <laughs> even, even worse. Spinach or kale? Oh, for Pete's sake. <laughs> I'll say kale, I guess. Kale, um, seems a bit more versatile. Um, like you could put kale in a smoothie. Uh, it's putting spinach in a smoothie is kind of, I don't know if I've ever done that, but um, depends how much other stuff you've got. Yeah. <laughs> you can put yeah, almost anything in a smoothie. Maybe, got I, I really don't, I, I'm r- really not a fan of spinach at all. I mean, Popeye did his best to get me to eat spinach, mm-hmm. but it just, I, I think Popeye eating spinach actually made me think that looks super gross. <laughs> and it's like True. green and slimy and just no yeah and he doesn't look right i mean he's got like clearly some kind of tumor on his <laughs> on his arm it just doesn't seem healthy no no you don't, you don't like that muscle that one big bicep that one big muscle and the yeah. forearms the big forearms <laughs> uh yes <laughs> um okay I, I I don't know. Uh, Thirty-five points for that answer. Thirty-five points. Um, okay, Father Kyle. Next one is for you. Uh, bah! Or moo. I think I'm going to have to pull a Father Jonathan and say that I'm going to go with book, 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 book. <laughs> book, book meow, book meow. <laughs> That's even better, Matt. <laughs> you don't know, like I was at home talking to my wife 
and literally asking her, what do you think is funnier, moo or cock-a-doodle-doo? <laughs> this is a real conversation that <laughs> adults had this evening. So um, excellent job there, Father Kyle. You get um, uh, 63 points and a bucket of chicken. Okay. Uh, okay. A bucket of chicken. <laughs> I mean, are we talking KFC or Popeyes or what? Popeyes. Let's be thematic. Oh, come on. Rub it in. Why don't you? <laughs> it is, as you know, the Roman Catholic chicken joint. Pope, yes. Oh, God. What? We'll I just don't... pretend we didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I got that. Pope, yes. Oh. It's the Roman Catholic chicken joint. You'll get it. Uh, okay. Slow on the uptake. I got it. I got it. Uh, okay. Wow. Well. Uh, okay. Father Matt, this one is for you. A cheeseburger, a cheeseburger walks into a bar and the bartender says, I'm sorry, sir. We don't serve food here. Or uh, why are dinosaurs not great pets? Why? Because they're dead. <laughs> Definitely that one. Come on. <laughs> That's the way that one's was. good. The cheeseburger one was tired, but that one was good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. You you win um and a cheeseburger, weirdly enough. Oh so, okay. Congratulations. Uh, I mean, and, are we talking like five guys here or like sure, and as much kale as you want to go with it? Oh wow. What a treat. <laughs> okay. Um Father Kyle, uh last one here. This goes to you. Colossians or Philippians? Mm. Mm. Well, two good letters. We'll say that for sure. Um, I'm probably going to go with Colossians because of the uh, the Christ hymn that's in the middle of that letter is just a piece of beauty. Um, and overall, I I kind of like that letter slightly better than Philippians. Philippians is um, Philippians is one of Paul's gentlest and uh, kind of friendliest letters. There's no real controversy in the Philippian church. There's still a little bit of controversy going on in the Colossian church. And so there's a need for some warning. So um, some of Paul's feistier side, which I always appreciate, is there in that, in that letter as well. So I'll okay. go with Colossians. So really for you, it's, you just love the household code. You want to rule over your wife. Yeah, that's and right. That's why you pick it. Okay. That, that's right. I like to twist those words of Paul to, <laughs> to uh, assert my authority. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, Father Kyle, um, 73,000 yen for that one. Okay. Unfortunately, I don't know how that exchanges. So I don't know either. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so that's our game. 
And um, I am going to declare, uh, Father Matt, you are our winner because as it turns out, the cheeseburger was worth 10,000 points. Ah, no? <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I think it uh, might've been more than a five guys cheeseburger. <laughs> it's worth 10,000 points on your Weight Watchers uh, program. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, that's going to do it for our show for today. Um, do join us on social media. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash God and Comics, or you can tweet at us. We're on Twitter at God and Comics. We'd love to hear more from you. Um, you can also uh, check us out at godandcomics.com. Find out more about us. Um, or if you want to listen to older programs, you can go to anchor.fm slash God and Comics. Gosh, we're everywhere. Um, but uh, mercifully, we do not have a, an Instagram page. So um, just, just be thankful for that. Nobody wants to see our staged photos, I think. I'm pretty sure. We can um, take a photo of some kale. Or like what we're eating. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that either. We would love it if you would give us a rating or a review at your favorite uh, podcast venue, maybe even the one you're listening to this now on that helps other people to find the show. Our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right now, is by Father Paul Wheatley, who was recently banned by a local school board for being, and I quote, not nearly controversial enough. Until next time, I'm Father John Michigan, Father Kyle Tomlin, I'm Father Matt Stromberg, and we'll see ya.